0: you are not a Christian, if you wouldn't consider yourself uh, a Christ follower or a Jesus follower, and I really like that phrase, Jesus follower, better than the word Christian, because the, the word Christian is so loaded these days, but if you are not, if you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian or a Jesus follower, um, maybe you used to be, maybe you lost interest, uh, not sure what your story would be, but whatever your story would be. My guess would be is, is if we gave you a chance to come up here and say, this is why I don't believe, this is why I'm not a Christian, this is why I'm not a Jesus follower, whatever your reason would be, um, we're the kind of church that, like, if you came up and, and told that portion of your story, we would say, we get that. We, we, un- we understand where you're coming from, that if we saw what you saw, if we had heard what you had heard, if we'd been treated the way you'd been treated by Christians, that we would probably be in a similar place as you are uh, whatever your experience is we would probably hear your experience and we wouldn't cast judgment on whether you're a follower of Jesus or not but if you were to say to me Josh I'm I'm not a Christian but I want to give you a chance I want to give you a, your a chance to give me your best shot at why I should be a Jesus follower I would like that. I think that would actually be kind of fun. And it would be if, if you invited me into it. It's not like I barged in and said, hey, here's why you should be a Christian. But like you and I were having a conversation. We were on a hike, we were skiing, we were having dinner. And, and you said, give me your best shot, Josh, about this whole Christian, the whole Jesus thing. Here's what I wouldn't do if you gave me that opportunity I would not try to defend the history of the church because the church has done some goofy things, as we all know. I I wouldn't try to defend or explain what Christians have said or done or the way that some Christians have treated you in the past. I I wouldn't try to to explain the the views or the values that some Christians have that maybe drive you crazy. I wouldn't do that. I I also wouldn't uh, necessarily try to convince you with the Bible, even though the Bible is extremely important to me and it's important to us as Jesus followers, I, act, I probably wouldn't start with the Bible. If, if you gave me a chance to try to convince you to con, just even consider being a follower of Jesus, where I would start, what I would focus on is exactly what we're celebrating today. I, I would actually, I may not start there, but I would end up with I, and focus on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Yes, I might talk a little bit about his teachings. Yes, because they're, they're good teachings, right? I might talk about his death and his self-sacrificing death on the cross and how admirable that is and inspiring that is. I might talk about that, but what I would really, really focus on is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Here's why. See, we, we believe that the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I would focus on that because we believe that the resurrection of Jesus Christ has huge implications for life. We believe, uh, as Christians, like, Easter is, is, is not just a big deal because of the fact of the resurrection. It's, it's that some guy died and came back to life. We we. we we get so excited on this day. We get all, I don't normally dress like this. You don't normally dress like this at Colorado Life Church. You look good, by the way. Can I just say that? Like, this is the, we should take pictures because this is the best we ever look right here. We get all dressed up. We sing the songs. We get excited. This day is really meaningful to us because of the implications of the resurrection. That, uh, what I'm trying to say is that if, if you really understand, and this is, again, if you and I were sitting down and, and just talking one-on-one, I would, I would try to help you understand what happened when Jesus rose from the dead. Because if, if we understand that, it, it kind of, at least for me in my faith, it creates this context for life. Not only did, did I, I feel like he's given me new life, it creates context for life in general. It impacts the way I spend my time. It impacts who I spend my time with. It impacts how I spend my money. It impacts the way I look at the people around me. It impacts the way I love it impacts the way that I find meaning in life. What I'm trying to say is the resurrection is, is timeless. There's something about the, the resurrection of Jesus that is timeless and has huge implications for us. And I would try, so if you said, hey, Josh, give me your best shot, I would focus on the resurrection of Jesus because of the, partly because of the implications and what it's meant to me personally, but also the implications that I think it has for you as well. There's a really cool interaction between Jesus and one of his followers, and it takes place on Easter morning. So I thought it would be a good verse for us to read on Easter morning. And um, this is an interaction that that is so beautiful and compelling and, and heartfelt and precious, that I'm excited for us to, to look at it together. And really, I think this interaction is between uh, a woman named Mary Magdalene and Jesus. And Mary Magdalene was the first one to see Jesus as the risen Lord. Jesus uh, rose from the dead. And, and I think what I want you to see is this interaction really, to me, captures what it means to be someone who lives their life believing that Jesus rose from the dead. It really captures the energy and the implications of what it means to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And so I wanted to tell you this story this morning. But first, we need a little bit of context. We need a little bit of Easter context before we dive in. Um, Because I want us to be able to put ourselves in her shoes She's, this is in a very, we pick up, where we pick her up today, she's in a very emotional state. She's, she's, very, she's devastated, and I want to make sure that we understand what's going through her heart and her mind. Here's, here's, here's what we need to know about Mary. She had really, really high expectations for Jesus, she, and she was not alone. Her and a bunch of other people thought that Jesus was what the Jews called the Messiah, and the Messiah was the one that that they believed God would send to the world to to save the world, to bring Israel back to its former glory in the time uh, uh, glory in the time of of David and the time of Solomon, and and so she had and, and honestly because of how Jesus. Who Jesus was and what he had done over the course of like three years. He had this action packed three years where he did some incredible things. So she had good reason. They had good reason to believe this guy is the Messiah, this guy is our Savior. Uh, he preached with, part of the reason is he preached with authority. He, he was not, not afraid to speak up against the religious rulers and speak against the man of the time that, that uh, were abusing the system and, and authority. Uh, when he talked, he seemed to have this connection with God. He seemed uh, he took, he called God Father, and he he would invite his followers to also call God Father. And that was new. That was different. He had, did, and on top of that, he did all sorts of miracles. Uh, he fed thousands of people. He he um, he calmed the storm. Calmed the storm one day. I mean, literally, they're thinking to themselves, "Does this guy have power over nature?" I mean that's like super spooky right like, like can we just all agree that it'd be cool to see you and yet at the same time like you stay over there jesus like <laughs> i'm okay right here because of the power that you have they even even and towards the end of his ministry he even raised a guy named lazarus from the dead and people were freaking out the crowds were growing and there people were saying this is it this is the messiah On a personal note, Mary, so Mary had seen a lot of this, heard a lot of this, followed Jesus, but on a personal note, Mary was actually one of the people that Jesus healed. And so Jesus meant a lot to her. She loved Jesus. A lot of people loved Jesus, but not everyone. If you're familiar with the stories in the Gospels, and the Gospels are the first four books of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they cover the life, the ministry, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And in the Gospels, we find that, that Jesus has some opponents. He has some people who are against him. And, and, and frankly, he kind of deserved it. He literally he spoke with such authority to the people in authority that it got him into trouble. There were times where literally he would he would say he would look them straight in the eye and he said you guys think you're close to God but you're actually going to hell and they got fired up he'd say you know those prostitutes those sinners over there those people you label they're actually closer to the kingdom of God than you are. And man, did they get fired up. And for a while, they tried to trap him. They tried to trap him in his own words, hang him with his own words. And every time, he'd, he'd switch it around. If you're familiar with the Gospels, you've, you know those accounts where Jesus gets the last word and gives him a zinger, and it's great, and everybody's you know, clapping and laughing and that kind of stuff. But here's the thing. They, they tried to get him off the scene. They tried to get him off the scene. And finally, it got so bad, they decided, we need to get drastic. We need to get serious here. Because this guy, if this guy, if ever everybody follows this guy he will take th- everybody will follow him and he will t- they'll lose all of their authority and they decided not just to imprison him not just to have him killed those ways that he they maybe could have gotten rid of him they decided on crucifixion they decided we are going to try to crucify him now as some of you guys know crucifixion the purpose of crucifixion was not to kill someone the purpose of crucifixion was to to make a point the purpose of crucifixion was not to kill someone, it was to humiliate them. And, and, and basically, when, when they were on the cross, by putting somebody on the cross, this was Rome's way. Rome was the people who, who crucified people. But Rome put people on a cross as a way to say, see, this is what happened when you go against Rome see good you know, like kids come here and look and, and this would happen in the public areas there was very actually ex- public executions as if to say make an example out of somebody say don't be like them and so they decided we're going to do crucifixion because that's probably the best way to put an end to his movement get rid of him once and for all and it they they were able to get the ball rolling one time because they they had they found a mole on the inside some of you are familiar that jesus was actually betrayed by one of his own disciples judas and and they were able to the, judas was able to let them find Jesus because the problem was they wanted to arrest Jesus, but you couldn't arrest Jesus in broad daylight. He was way too popular. There was always crowds around him. And if they did that, the people would get mad. They, they would mob against them and it could end really bad for them. So they had to figure out a way to weasel their way into Jesus, you know, like get to Jesus when there wasn't a bunch of people around. And they had the opportunity on a Thursday night. That's what we celebrate at Easter. On Thursday night, Judas led them to Jesus in a garden. And he betrayed them, and they arrested him. At this point, when they arrest him, they want to crucify him, but crucifying is not something they can do. It's not really something they were willing to do themselves. It's something the Romans did. And they hated the Romans, but they, they were willing to work with the Romans to get what they needed done. So if some of you are familiar with the story, they bring Jesus before Pontius Pilate, who's the Roman governor at the time. And they say to Pontius, listen, this guy Jesus, he's bad news for you. He's bad news for Rome. He's an insurrectionist. He's, he's going to start a rebellion. And they brought all of these false witnesses that twisted Jesus' words, things that he had said, and twisted them to make it seem and make him look like an insurrectionist. And Pilate saw it coming from a mile away. He's like, no, 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 no. I know who this guy is. I know who Jesus is. People really like Jesus. If I kill Jesus, they might not really like me. And so he says, I don't want every, anything to do with this and if you've read the gospels it's fascinating to watch they're able to kind of posture and 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 put that put um um Pilate back him into a corner and get their way and at the end Pilate's like all right fine i will crucify him but i want you to know i wash my hands of this this man's blood is not on my hands and so he orders jesus crucified And as many of you know, it's it's this horrific death that starts with a scourging. It starts with 40 lashes with a cat of nine tails that has shards of glass and stone and bone that's meant to just shred skin when it hits. And then they put a robe on him and they put a crown of thorns on him and they, they beat him on the head and they said, Hail the King of the Jews. They made him carry this huge wooden cross on the back that they just whipped up to the top of a, a hill just outside of Jerusalem and they nailed him to that cross and for hours he he struggled to live he struggled with every breath as he lifted up on the nails and then he died one thing that's really interesting that maybe you don't know about crucifixion is it was actually illegal to bury a body of a crucified man. And the the purpose was simple because in the act of crucifixion, it's about humiliation, right? So you can't can't humiliate somebody in their death and then honor them in their burial. The, The humiliation needs to continue on past their death. Many times, they would just leave people on the cross for days at a time. Again, see, this is what happens. See, this is what happens. But in this case, Jesus had died and, and because the, the Jews were involved in this, this, keep in mind that he got arrested on Thursday night, he got tried through the night, Thursday night, Friday morning, and crucified Friday day, died Friday afternoon. And for Jewish people, the Sabbath was coming. At sundown, the Sabbath would start, and for, uh, to, uh, good Jews know that they, they don't work on the Sabbath. They, don't, they, don't, uh, they need to be at their homes celebrating the Sabbath. And here's the thing. They definitely don't handle a dead body on the Sabbath. That's like a big no-no. And so actually what happened is the, the Gospels tell us that two rich men who were secret followers of Jesus, who, people who, who liked Jesus, actually took Jesus off the cross and put him in a tomb. And the text doesn't say this in the Gospels, but it probably means that these rich men went to Pontius Pilate and bribed him to get Jesus' body. That's it. Otherwise, Jesus' body would have either been left on the cross or probably thrown into a trash heap because that's what happened to crucified bodies. But these men somehow were able to, to procure his body. They put him in a tomb and then... They, they rolled a stone over the tomb, and that was it. Here's what I want us to, to see and know before we move forward. As soon as that tomb was sealed, everybody unfollowed Jesus. As soon as that, that Jesus died on the cross, there were no more Jesus followers. There were no more Jesus followers, there were no, no more, there were no Christians after the crucifixion. It wasn't that the, the, his followers didn't love him anymore, it wasn't that they didn't appreciate what he had done, that he, it wasn't that he said a lot of memorable things and told some really good stories. They stopped believing in Jesus, they unfollowed Jesus because Jesus, amidst all of this great things that he said in his teachings, he's a great teacher. If you've never read some of the, his parables, they're incredible. But, he, but in the midst of that, he had said way too much about himself that came untrue as soon as he died. He had said some really, really big things about who he was as, as a person that were com- all of those things were completely undermined as soon as he kicked the bucket. He said things like, I am the Messiah. And, and then after he died, the, the followers were like, I guess he wasn't the Messiah. Because the Messiah is not going to die, not like that. He's not going to just have this three years of hoorah and then just be done. No, he was, he's supposed to do a lot more, so obviously he wasn't the Messiah. Jesus said this phrase, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's a really intolerant statement. The, no one comes through the Father except through me. I am the way to God. And when he died, they said obviously he's not the way to God. (laughs) He's dead. He said things like, he called himself the son of God. And when he died, people said, I guess he's not the son of God. I guess he's just the illegitimate son of Joseph the carpenter. Everybody unfollowed jesus there was no movement to follow there was no message worth repeating some of the stuff yeah, he i said was great but he said so much crazy stuff about who he was that they couldn't go around saying that people would be like oh you're talking that's a jesus parable isn't that that crazy guy that thought he was all this and then he died it would have no tr- it would get no traction there was nothing left and here's what i want us to see because we're, we're about to pick up with our, our friend mary on sunday morning there was nobody at the tomb, there was not a group of people at the tomb with party hats and blowers, and as soon as the sun was about to rise, they were saying 10, 9, 8, 7, 6. Because nobody expected that. Jesus had died, and dead people stay dead. It was It was over. This is where our story begins today. You ready? John says this in chapter 20. Early on the first day of the week, that is Sunday, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. So it's Sunday morning. It's hours after the Sabbath had ended Saturday night. And we find Mary Magdalene on her way to the tomb in the dark in hopes of finding someone to move the stone. We find out that she's wanting to dress the body. And this is a really futile effort because the stone was probably huge. She, she didn't have to find somebody. She had to find some bodies. She had to find, like, the idea, like, the, the idea of finding somebody before dawn to, to, to move the stone so that she could redress the body. We honestly, it's kind of strange, isn't it? That, that she wanted to do that. That's what she was going to do. But isn't it true we kind of do strange things when we're grieving? I was thinking about this week. I was like, man, it's possible. Why was she doing this? Maybe, maybe it was just because she couldn't sleep. And she's like, instead of laying here and staring at the ceiling, I'm going to go, I just, I just need one more time with Jesus, even if he's dead. There's another option that, that she decided she needed to do, rewrap Jesus because, after all, two men had hastily done it right before the Sabbath, and Lord knows they didn't do it right. So she had to hop in there, regardless of her reasoning. She's on her way to the tomb, and she's not in a good place. And it's about to get wor- worse. Watch this. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. And just so you know, her first instinct when she sees the stone gone is not good things. It's, oh no, because she was expecting a body to be there, and a missing body in her mind was not, it was not going to be a good thing. Because again, think about it. Think about all of the things that Jesus' enemies had done to humiliate him. Would they stop once he's dead? No. In fact, there's good reason to believe if those two dudes went and paid off Pontius Pilate, and people, you know, like, and the people who killed Jesus heard about that, they would say, no, 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 you can't bury a crucified body. We need that on the garbage heap. We need Jesus' body. We're going to prop it up in Jerusalem and say, this is, this is Jesus of Nazareth. She had good reason to believe that bad things were going on with Jesus at this moment. She said, oh, no, Jesus' Jesus's enemies hated him. The, the last thing that they wanted was to, for, for their followers of Jesus to shrine, enshrine this place and try to keep the Jesus dream alive. So she sees the, the, the stone rolled away. She looks in the tomb, sees that the body's gone. She's like, this is not good. So, listen to this. She, she comes running. This is verse 2. So she comes running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where we, he, they have put him. At which point, they're like, who's they? She's like, I don't know, but he's gone. Like, we gotta do something, you know, and, and there, there's confusion, but we need to back up a second here, because it says, she comes running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. This is the book of John. This is the gospel according to John. And John never refers to himself as, himself as me or I, he always refers to himself as the other disciple or a lot of times the disciple that Jesus loved, which is just his subtle way of saying I was Jesus' favorite. (laughs) Like every, you know, like just in the narrative throughout it, like this thread of I was Jesus' favorite. For God so liked you guys, disciples, but he loved me, you know, and and, and so it's a subtle way of, of saying I was his favorite It gets better, actually, here in a second. Watch this. So verse 3 and 4. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple, a.k.a. John, a.k.a. the one that Jesus loved, a.k.a. the best, the favorite, you know what I mean, outran Peter and reached the tomb First, I love this because in the midst, see, see, honestly, when you and I sit down and read the Bible, we like put our serious caps on. This crap's funny. This is like, this is some funny stuff right here because in the midst, catch this, in the midst of telling the resurrection of Jesus Christ, okay, he's been leading up to this for 19 chapters, John feels he needs to make a point to his readers that not only is he the favorite, he's the fastest. I I love this because this is exactly what me and my buddies would do. If I was right, I'd be like, yes, you know, we need the truth. We need the total truth. We need the glorified truth of what is actually happening. Yes, Jesus rose from the dead. But did you know that I was a track star in high school? (laughs) That's what John is doing here. They get to the tomb. And John gets there first, of course. Sees these linens, the head wrapping and the, the body linens from... Jesus' body and peter grabs them and they're not quite sure what to think and so they leave and they go back home meanwhile mary makes her way back to the tomb and this is this is where the story really picks up steam for us it says this in verse 11 now mary stood outside the tomb crying weeping sobbing think of like what's going through her brain, the confusion, the frustration, the anger. God, you didn't come through. Jesus didn't come through. Like, like she's weeping and sobbing. She's bent over, looked into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And she doesn't know they're angels. Then they ask her, woman, why are you crying? Now, I've wondered at a time or two, are angels male or female? And John doesn't say whether these are men angels or, or female angels, but I have a, a theory that these were dudes. Because only a dude would look at a woman who's crying and say, why are you crying? <laughs> like, like, it's totally a dude thing to do, right? So, so they say, why are you crying? And, and she replies, they have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. Again, why would anybody steal a body unless they had really, really ill intentions for that? And she's, she's, she's really worried about that. At this, and, and this part's so powerful, she turned around, so she looks like she heard something behind her. She turns around and saw Jesus standing there, but did not realize that it was Jesus. I, I don't know, was it dark? Was it in the distance? Was it shaded? Could she not recognize him? We don't know, but for some reason, she doesn't register that it's Jesus. Whatever the case is, she, looks, she sees him behind her and then kind of turns around and, and puts her focus back on this problem of the empty tomb. And I think at this point, Jesus had a really big smile on his face. Like It, it, it doesn't say this in the, in the Bible, but I think that Jesus was definitely smiling right now because he knew that, that Mary was just seconds away from seeing the world in a completely different light he asked her woman why are you crying and then and then he says this who is it you are looking for as if a little hint who who is it you're looking for i think this next part is is hilarious again we we might miss it because when we read the bible we get too serious she says this thinking he was the gardener okay no, no no you have to you have to think about this Mary would tell, this is her story. This is incredible. She would tell the story for the rest of her life, right? Oh, Mary, you're Mary Magdalene? You were there. You saw the empty tomb. You were the first one to see Jesus. What was going through your mind? She was like, you're not going to believe this. I thought he was the gardener. <laughs> you know? She told that story and everybody laughed. Do you know why she thought he was the gardener? It's because she wasn't expecting Jesus to come back from the dead. Dead guys stay dead. She wasn't looking for the resurrection. She, she, this is so funny. Even, like, so let this sink in. Even as she's talking with Jesus, even though she's looking in the empty tomb, she still hasn't put it together because she's not looking for it. She says this, Sir, if you, had carried, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will go and get him. Which I think is her way of politely saying, if you're not going to help me, buzz off. And then I love this next part. And Jesus said to her, Mary, Mary. And immediately she knew it was Jesus because only one person said her name that way. Mary. Isn't that cool? Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that powerful? She turned toward him and ran to embrace him, crying out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. We're familiar with the word rabbi. And then Jesus' response is really interesting. Catch this. Jesus says, says this in verse 17, Do not hold on to me, For I have not yet ascended to my Father. I know, I know, like it's hug time, but hug time is over. They're like, don't hold on to me. I've not yet ascended to my Father. Go instead to my brothers, meaning the disciples, and tell them, and I love this, I'm ascending to my Father and to your Father, Mary. To my God and to your God. And, And I think this is his way of saying, I did not come all the way back from the dead just so we can hang out. It's bigger than that. I'm not, I didn't raise from the dead so that we can have a reunion tour and I can do the Good Samaritan bit and talk about the parables and yell at some religious leaders. No, 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 no. It's better than that. It's timeless. The, the implications that my, my resurrection has for life. I know, Mary, right now you feel like the puppy just came home, like the puppy that you thought was, you'd signed off for dead and is long gone. The puppy came home, and now I get more time with the puppy. And it's true, yes, in some ways we're going to get more time together, but it's bigger than that. My resurrection has huge implications. So uh, there's urgency. Catch this. He's the risen Lord. He's eternal. He's, and yet he's saying, go. There's urgency in his voice, go and tell the disciples. So Mary, Mary Magdalene, verse 18, went to the disciples with the news, "I have seen the Lord." And can you imagine what that run, walk, whatever she did back to Jerusalem looked like? Can you imagine what was going through her heart? Can you imagine how bright? the sun must have felt that morning. This was, wasn't it a perfect Easter morning this morning if you're up a little early? It's just hazy, kind of solemn, and then this, this slowly, the sun. It was, and see, for, for, for Mary, it was the same morning. That was a, a, an hour ago. That same walk was a, a walk of despair. Now it's a walk of joy because Jesus had rose from the dead and that changed things. Imagine, uh, she probably felt like the whole world was becoming new. If there was birds singing that morning, she probably was like, they're singing for Jesus. <laughs> if there was flowers growing, she probably looked at him and said, yes, flowers are growing. And from death comes life in the springtime, just like Jesus. <laughs> Her sorrow had gone, and I wonder if she wondered to herself, is, is Jesus, is he, is he making sadness untrue? Jesus was dead. I watched it. He was dead. Is he making death? Come on true. And on that run back, imagine how her r- mind was racing, and she gets back to the disciples and she says, "I have seen the Lord." Woo!" She was fired up. Her world had been changed. And I was thinking about it this week. And I, I honestly I'd never thought about this before. But what if you watch in the New Testament? In the months and the years that follow, the, the, the response from the disciples, the response from the followers of Jesus, especially the ones that had seen him living. What's fascinating is, again, you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? You've got the Gospels. Those are the first four books. There's 23 other books. There's 27 books in the, in the New Testament. What's fascinating to me about the New Testament I was thinking about it the last couple weeks, is the fact that it, it, there's Paul, you know, and his, his, a lot of them are letters. Those books are letters that, that Paul writes to his friends and that kind of stuff. Paul, Peter, James all write different things. And, and none of them do they start with, you know, oh, G- isn't Jesus a great guy? Like, like is, wasn't he a great preacher? That guy could really preach. Do you remember the Good Samaritan? Let me tell you the story of the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan is nowhere to be found after the death and resurrection of Jesus. There's no parables. Like, parables were a big part of If you've read the Gospels, it's a big part of what Jesus does, right? They're, They're not even mentioned in the New Testament. As if to say, the New Testament writers, what they were most enthralled by, what they were smitten by, what they found most powerful and most meaningful, what they freaked out and geeked out about, wasn't what Jesus taught. And it really wasn't his death. They talked about his death, but a lot of times they're talking about like, yeah, he died on a cross, like that's a scornful death. What they're tripping over always is he rose from the dead. That is the heart of their message everywhere you go. If you've read the New Testament, you've seen that. Isn't that fascinating? I love Jesus' teachings. And again, if you and I were sitting down and talking... I might talk about some of his teachings. I might talk, if you said, give me me your best shot. Why should I be a Jesus follower? Like, yeah, he's a good teacher. Yeah, like he's kind of like a William, William Wallace or Martin Luther King in his death. Like, that's cool. But man, the resurrection is what's most, that's what stands out the most. That's what's most unique about him. And that's what they wrote about because his resurrection they started to realize oh my gosh it changes this oh my gosh it changes this they couldn't open up the old testament without seeing jesus in prophecy in the psalms in the in the law they're like there's jesus again there there's a suffering servant there it is he he was supposed to suffer and then he's going to come to life, and they started putting these, this like the idea of like the the, the Old Testament with what Jesus taught, with what Jesus, uh, his his resurrection. They're like, oh my goodness! It became the context for their lives, the context for every decision they made, the context for, for how they loved, for who they hung out with, and, and his de- the, his conquering death had implications. That meant, that meant we're not you know like even if we die someday, they, they believe we're going to be raised again. which meant we don't need to be afraid of death. And what was fascinating was, like, in the New Testament, they talk about guys who died. They're like, you know, your friend, they they didn't say they died. He just fell asleep. And and sooner or later, Jesus will wake him up because death is not the end. Death does not get the final say because of the resurrection. And they geeked that or there's this process of this discovery in the years that follow of what had happened that day On Easter morning, that we celebrate this morning, and for them, it changed everything. And friends, it changes everything for us as well. Again, if you and I were on a hike and we were talking, and assume we're friends, assume I know a little bit what's going on in in your life and your story, I would point you to the resurrection. And if you're, you're grieving the loss of somebody, I, I would remind you, that, that I would encourage you that death does not have the final say because of the resurrection. And if we were walking and talking, and you, I, I sense that you, there's some anguish in your heart over loss, a loss of a dream, a loss of a marriage, a loss of something in your life that, that makes you, starting to make you think that, that this is the end of your story, I would say, no, 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 no. You, you are far from the end of your story because of the resurrection. And if you are facing health complications, a diagnosis, cancer, your body's just falling apart, I say, listen, I, I might quote Paul who says, though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly we are being made new every day because of the resurrection. And if you were in despair about the state of the world and just overwhelmed by how dirty and evil it is, I'd say, listen, 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 listen. There was a guy once who walked the earth and, and he predicted his death and resurrection and then pulled it off. <laughs> and he said, I will come back. I will make things new. I will make things right again. And he said that because of the resurrection. We can believe him because of of the resurrection, and, and, and even if, say we were walking, and uh, I love Evergreen, because Evergreen's chocked full of people who know how to get the most out of life, you guys are pro at, at just kind of like figuring out, getting a good life for yourself, and if that was you, and you're like, Josh, I don't know if I really need Jesus, like, life is pretty good, I'd be like, oh man, you're gonna love Jesus, because if you think, like, you get the most out of this life, Jesus thought that one life, one good life is just not enough, we need hashtag eternal life. We need, like he wanted, he's crazy for adventure. Because of the resurrection, we can know that. And because, and, and I also tell you, if, if you're the person who wants to get the most out of life, I would tell you, listen, the resurrection is so important because sometimes we who get the most out of life, we, we push people out of our lives. We, we're not great dads, we're not great husbands because we're trying to get too much. Because of the resurrection, that's, uh, we, can, we can rest in the fact that the best is yet to come, which means we can sacrifice better for the ones we love. Isn't that cool? See, the resurrection, do you see how it has hope? It gives hope for us that are grieving. It, it, it brings inspiration and peace and adventure. Do you see how the resurrection is such a big deal for us? Why this is such a big day for us that call ourselves Jesus followers? Do you see that the resurrection has implications for every area of our lives? Do you see that it changes everything? And if you're a person who's never put your faith in Jesus Christ, or maybe you're like, I I don't know if I have, like I've never thought about it this way, I've always believed in God, but just this, this is a new idea. I would encourage you, in light of the resurrection, I would encourage you, listen, put, a, put, a, put aside, like, yes, what the church has done and how you've been mistreated by Christians, put aside all of that. Like, that's important, but really what I'd have you focus, again, if we were talking one-on-one, I would focus on this one question. Who is Jesus? Who do you believe Jesus to be? Because on this day, on Easter, we find out the answer to that question. And the answer is he's exactly who he said he was. He's the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And he's our Lord. And He's worth your consideration. Here's what I'd like to do to close this morning. We've got one more song to sing. Wasn't the music, oh, it's so good to sing on Easter. We've got one more song. And I love the lyrics, the lyrics go like this. Alone in my sorrow, dead in my sin. Lost without hope, with no place to begin. We felt that way before. We felt like, what do I do with this? What do I do with my past? What do I do with the regret or the shame or the pain of the past? Where do you restart when you feel alone? Your love made a way for grace to come in. That is, God figured out a way. God, you figured out a way for us to be with us to start again, even though we have lots of things in our past. When death was arrested and my life began. So there's two kinds of births in life. There's our physical birth when we take that first breath as a babe. And then there's spiritual birth when we come to realize that Jesus is who he, he says he was. And we decide to, to, to make his resurrection the context for our life. Life begins. Ash was redeemed. Only beauty remains. I love this phrase because the heart of the gospel is that that, God is pro at taking things that are worthless, like ash, and turning them and redeeming them into something valuable, which means, look at me, he can take your past. He can take your blunders. He can take your ash and turn it into something beautiful. He can redeem it and turn it into something valuable. Our orphan hearts were given a name. Mary. (laughs) Mary. Dana. Sean. Sandy. Tyler. Rob. Jan. Our orphan hearts are given a name. When death was arrested and my life began. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you th- for this day above others. We, we thank you for what you accomplished and what it changed. I pray in this last song that as we reflect for a couple moments in an attitude of prayer of who you are and who we are in light of what you've done, that we would be drawn closer to you. That's why we come to church this morning is, is we would like to draw closer to you. I pray that you would speak over us, affirm us. some of us are in, in a dark time. I pray that you would meet us there. God, I thank you for the cross, the resurrection, for your deep love for us. And we thank you that it changes everything and that the best is yet to come. Amen. Mm -hmm.